Well, we got some great questions this week. As always, somebody says, Dan, I'm depressed. Should I buy a nice car? Well, he's got a little more detail on that. Great question. I believe in driving nice cars, but not as a pill for being depressed. But sure, hey, buy any car you want, as long as it's not more than one month's income. Stick around. I'll explain how to do that. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, if you're new, you may be asking, why 48 days? What's the significance of that? Well, years ago, I was kind of frustrated working with people who said they were pretty upset not happy with what they were doing. We'd map out a plan for how to transition into a whole new life, new work, new fulfillment. Then I run into them a year later and they hadn't done anything. And I'm like, what's up with that? And found out they were waiting, waiting till all the lights were green, waiting till, gee, the kids get out of high school, waiting to finish paying off the mortgage. And you know, if we're waiting for circumstances to be right, we never do anything. We never move into a new season of life. So we established 48 days as a reasonable time to assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other people, identify three or four good options, do a little bit more research, choose one and act. That's the process. It's worked like magic for a whole lot of people. I know it can do that for you as well. Well, here we talk about real life questions submitted from you, the listeners. Great questions. I'm always intrigued opening that magic mailbox and seeing the wonderful questions that you all are dealing with. We're going to unpack some together and hopefully grow in the process and escalate that level of success for each of us. So questions like this today, how can I make sure I don't fizzle on my goals for 2023? Dan, can I survive as a songwriter? I have a daughter who's in college, but uncertain about direction. What should I do? I've climbed the ladder of success in my current industry, but think the ladder may be leaning on the wrong wall. I need a preface for my ebook from somebody in my industry. I want to switch to selling real estate. I don't know how to sell. Do you think I can learn? And then this one, well, I will wrap up with this one. I was feeling depressed the other day about how life wasn't working very well right now. And I decided to go do something to change my mental state. So I called up a Tesla dealership, test drove one of their vehicles. I left smiling for two days. Well, we're going to talk about that. We'll have fun unpacking that. I've got a car driving experience coming up here in a couple days that I'm really jazzed about. And I'll tell you how I frame that. Quotation for today comes from Sir Edmund Hillary, who said, I didn't climb the mountain to conquer the mountain. I did it to conquer myself. Boy, I love that sentiment. Set your goals, not just so you can check it off a to-do list, but so you can feel good about what you did, a new accomplishment, a new season. Well, you can send your questions in to 48days.com slash askdan. If you go there, you'll see a little place where you can submit your questions to be in the running for upcoming weeks. Love to hear from you. Our resource today is going to be our goals worksheet. Now, you're going to hear about this Multiple times between now and January 1st. Now, you know the pattern if you've been listening at all. My pattern is to encourage you to have your goals 
clearly identified seven different areas of your life by November 14th. Now, this is being released 18 days prior to that. So if you've got a little more than two weeks to get that all finished out, so you're ready by November 14th, and believe me, there's something that happens when you have them clarified, doors start opening, things start moving in that direction, even if you aren't working very specifically on them. I know it. I've been through it a hundred times, and uh, you can too, where you having goals clarified gives you momentum and seeing the reality of those come into view. So things will happen between November 14th and January 1st that you are blown away at just if you have your goals clarified. So our resource is to go to 48days.com slash goals. We got our free worksheet there. You can just be working on it. You can write in your own answers, save it, go back and revise it, review it, all those cool things. I'm working on mine. I'd love to hear what yours are as well. Now I'm going to blast through some questions. You got a bunch of them. I'm going to go through them pretty quickly today. So here's one. Says This comes from uh, James. It says, I have a question. I took the DISC test years ago from you. I was a high C and D. The C was higher than the D. Other times I took it high D and C where the D was higher than the C. Can things change during your life? Yes, they can, James. You want things to change. It's exciting when things change. Now, that doesn't mean that your personality is going to flip-flop. It really doesn't. If you're high on C and D... Now, again, if you're familiar with the DISC profile is what we're referring to here, what James is talking about, D-I-S-C, where D stands for dominance, I stands for influencing, S for steadiness, C for compliance. C and D are high. Those go together nicely. Those are my two highest. Those are very results-oriented, process-driven systems, get things done. The other two the I and the S are very people and relationship oriented. So it's not uncommon at all to have D and C, even those are the first and the last, go together. So they're very results and task focused. Now, if those change a little bit, they're still very much in the same camp. What would be unusual is if all of a sudden you took it and you didn't have C and D as the highest ones and all of a sudden I and S were high, that would be unusual. But to have a little movement between the C and the D, nah, not not uncommon at all. And, and again, as with all personality inventories, don't allow the inventory to become more real than you, the person. You really are the test. You know, the, uh, the inventory is just to give you some general feedback where you can say, yeah, that is like me or no, that's not. You determine what is right and what is really accurate. So they're just, I mean, I take a lot of inventories, lots of different inventories, Anything somebody shows up with, hey, count me in, I'll take it. You know, so I've taken the fascination index, the EOS system to determine if you're a visionary or an implementer. I mean, I've taken the Enneagram to figure out whether they're out there I'm a five. I mean, I love taking them all. So do those, just use them as fun kind of tools to help you assess really who you are, what you're all about. And again, the more you understand yourself, then the more confidence you can have about the environment where you're going to function well. Christine says, currently I'm in the midst of deciding on my goals for 2023. I've been able to identify business goals, goals for my health, spiritual life, and personal, trying to implement a way to ensure that I do not fizzle out after a few months into 2023. 
couple quick pointers, and I've got guidelines. If you go to 48days.com slash goals, get our worksheet. I've got guidelines in there to help you on this, Christine, where you're not going to fizzle out. But the real message I want you to hear here is it's more about mindset than it is about creating a checklist of things to do or not do. If you just create a checklist of things you think you ought to do, you know, that's, that's going to be tough to stick with it. You may lose your motivation, and we know a lot of people do. By about February 1st, they've forgotten what they decided they were going to do in January, and it's gone. Well, because they didn't really decide. You know, deciding is a pretty powerful word. I mean, something's going to stop, and if you really decide, you have the mindset that you're going to go into a new season of your life, and you're going to accomplish things you've not accomplished before. That mindset will drive you. And that's a constant. You can nurture that. You can make sure that that's strong. And if that's strong, it shouldn't be a temporary thing. Just avoid making just a to-do list. See your setting goals as much more than that. All right, here's a question. Dan, music has been a lifelong passion of mine, especially in the form of songwriting. For the past several months, I've been at a crossroads, it seems, trying to decide whether or not it's worth pursuing this passion of mine further. As I've gotten older, 23, I've tried to think more realistically in regard to the future and the income level it takes to sustain a family. However, my love and fulfillment I get from writing songs continues. Would it be worth getting higher education to increase my skill level in this field? What other programs are available to learn more on the subject? Where can I go from here? Thank you for any and all advice you can give me, sir. Thanks, Aaron. Well, if, if you're not an established songwriter, you know, with a lot of connections in the music industry, you're probably just going to be what we call a gig writer, where you put your music out there, hope it gets enough attention to start generating some income or the interest of somebody big. But that's kind of like a needle on a haystack. I mean, you have to... Now, now here's the thing. If, if you go to a site like Glassdoor, you're going to see that the estimate that a songwriter makes is $68,000 a year as an annual salary. That's really misleading. I mean, the the reality is you're unlikely to have the job title of songwriter in any position at all. I mean, it can happen, but typically it's too broad. I'm going to come back to that in a second, kind of frame what a songwriter typically is. But people do get jobs as a music producer, a recording engineer, maybe a composer, a lyricist, music director, music arranger. I mean, those are all real jobs that have salaries with them. But songwriters typically are not those. I mean, songwriters are the guys, you know, waiting tables. There there was an Italian restaurant in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of, um, oh, it was like Mangiano's or something. I can't remember the name of it. But most of the people there were aspiring musicians. They were all people hoping that by being there, and it was well known that a lot of producers and arrangers would show up there. And so people would get jobs there waiting tables and just hoping that they make some good connections. And there's lots of stories where that actually happened. But to just be a songwriter? No, I would never try to force that as being your only source of income. Now that's kind of another way to frame this. Do it. Don't give up on it. By all means, keep doing it. Just don't force it to be the source of your income. So do something 
where you know you're good, something where you have a reasonable sense of enjoyment of doing it as your primary source of income, and then have fun writing songs. If you do it like that, I mean, I had a neighbor in Franklin where they had a very nice 120-acre farm, and that was courtesy of her writing one song that was picked up by Garth Brooks. Seven years ago, that's what funded the purchase of this very nice farm that they had. So it can happen. Do I believe it can happen? Absolutely. And usually those songwriters who kind of get in the groove turn out song after song after song. I mean, even people like Luke Bryan, who he started as a songwriter when a whole lot of other people started singing his songs and he decided to start singing them on his own. And that's worked pretty well for him as well. So this is one of those areas where you're going to hear me absolutely pursue your passion, but don't force it right out of the gate to be the only thing to, as you say, sustain a family. Probably not going to work. Jimmy says, I hope you're doing well. I've been devouring your book for the past two weeks. I absolutely love it. I know what it is I needed in this. I know it is what I needed in this season of life. I'm looking to transition in the IT industry, information technology, programming and software development from personal training. I've always had a passion for computers since I was in middle and high school, but felt I took a wrong path in college. What advice would you give to make that kind of career change in 48 days? And thank you for your book and your inspiration. Now, Jimmy, with what you're describing to transition into the IT industry, programming software development, we've got a lot of stories in our history here about people who have decided to do that where they just became self-trained to do that. That's an industry that changes so rapidly that if you had gotten a degree in that in college 15 years ago, it's not going to carry a whole lot of weight. What companies are going to look at is, what have you done in that arena in the last two years, in the last six months? What can you show us that you can do in programming and software development? And a lot of times, what you have a degree in is not even going to come up as part of the conversation. So you can do that. If you are talented in that arena and want to transition into IT, there's really no roadblocks. There's nothing that'll stop you. doesn't matter what your background is. If you've been in personal training or whatever you've been in, that's fine. But people are going to want to see your competence. Don't expect them to train you over a long period of time. Just get serious about it. If you need to be up to speed, take six months, take some tutorials, take some classes from Masterclass, you know, get on there. I mean, it costs you like 15 bucks a month to do that. You know, get in, in there and take some classes, get up to speed, present yourself as such. You can make that transition. Rock and roll. Well, Mary says, I have a daughter who currently attends college, but seems uncertain about what subject she's studying, what direction she's going in. What advice can you offer? Thanks, a concerned mom. Well, you're right to be concerned. Now, there, there's a couple things here that I just want to help you, help you kind of frame. If your daughter is in a community college or state college where the tuition is reasonable and you've set aside resources for that or she's earning her way through and she wants to do that, and then it's just part of the maturing learning process. If she's in some Ivy League school or she's at Vanderbilt you know, or Yale or Cambridge, someplace like that, where it's costing a lot of money and the family is borrowing money, I would stop that in a heartbeat. I would stop it today. Get her out. Let her get some experience in other ways. I mean, she can 
apprentice at a place for six months if she wants to. She can follow somebody around who's in a particular industry for two weeks. Just shadow them. There's lots of programs to do that. You can do it informal if you want. But let her get some life experience where she gets more clarity about what she wants to do. I mean, I've done very well as a coach over the years by working with the 45-year-old who decided that they didn't want to keep pursuing what they then had as a professional degree. So physicians, attorneys, dentists, engineers, accountants, pastors, and so on. Those are the kind of people who I've worked with who prove their ability academically to keep going to school, but they didn't stop to take a breath and figure out, is this something I really want to do? And at 45, they're saying, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, that's primarily the kind of people that I've worked with for a lot of years now. You don't want your daughter to be one of those. So there's no rush. I mean, if she's 20 years old and doesn't know what she wants to do, is in college, golly, have her go around the world. You know, spend a year getting some other experiences that'll help with that clarity. And then she can come back with a more of a committed mindset to actually develop in a particular area if needed. Got another question here from Rick. He says, I see a lot of high school students meandering their way into college without any sort of direction or possibly with too many directions. When I've posed the question to them about what it is they're passionate about, I get blank stares as though they're too young to know. Is this the case? Is there a better set of questions to ask teenagers to help them decide on or figure out a possible vocation? My own daughter is struggling to decide between engineering, art, or theater. As an ex-engineer turned chiropractor, these choices are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Well, you're right. And again, like I was telling the concerned mom a minute ago, Rick, I would encourage you to Give these kids some time to figure it out. It's tough to make those decisions. You know, when you're a teenager, I worked with a guy one time who was working at a bank. And he came to me and he had taken a position at the bank, knowing that's not what he wanted to do, but he had a friend who offered him a job there. And he thought, well, you know, I'll go there for six months until I really figure this out. And then all of a sudden he looked up and 14 years had passed. 14 years had passed. I mean, that's the way that oftentimes people get trapped in a particular career direction. Worked with another guy who came in, one of the first things he said, and he was about 45 years old, as I recall as well. One of the first things he said is, he said, I'm tired of living my life based on the decisions that were made by an 18-year-old. That being himself. But again, that happens a lot. Let's be patient. I mean, these days, especially, we're seeing people having two or three totally different careers as they experiment to try to figure this out. And it doesn't mean you're starting over. I mean, it really doesn't. You can change directions when you're 35 years old or 55. It doesn't mean you're starting over. You're not the same person you were when you were 18 years old. You know more. You have more maturity, more credibility. Your decisions are very, very different and very much more informed than they were back then. So be comfortable with that. Let's give these kids some leeway. Golly, my own kids, you know, we gave them a lot of leeway in experimenting with things. I mean, one of my sons went to Africa for 10 years, then decided, no, he didn't want to do that. He thought he could have more impact in the world, change the world in ways that were better. 
by being here and being involved in organizations that had more impact, influence. So it was a major change, but he needed the experience first to be able to have that insight and the confidence of proper direction moving forward. That's the way it works. All right, let me keep going here. Mark says, I've climbed the ladder of success in my current industry, but I think the ladder may be leaning on the wrong wall. I wrote out my ideal day and it looks nothing like what I'm doing now. It's almost the complete opposite. Is that common? Is this just a reaction to my current situation or could I really be that far off course? Well, Mark, you're kind of like what I was just alluding to a minute ago. I mean, I see lots of people who are in their mid-40s or 50s or 60s decide, I don't want to do this anymore. A lot of doctors are deciding, this is not what I signed up for when I went to medical school. All the bureaucracy and regulations, I don't want to do this anymore. A lot of teachers are saying kind of the same thing. Wow, I really wanted to encourage kids, help them make good decisions, help them learn. I love that. But this is not what I wanted. I mean, you have to be a policeman to be a teacher these days. This is not what I wanted, not what I wanted at all. So if you have climbed the ladder only to learn that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall, that's, that's a Stephen Covey principle. He talks about that. That's fine. Be grateful for the insight that you have now. If, in fact, that's true and your ideal day looks nothing like what you're doing now, boom, you're the kind of person I want to encourage. Take those 48 days, go through the process, You can figure this out, redirect, again, not negating what you've done currently, but building on that. So we we create this next curve, but it doesn't mean you're starting from the same baseline. You have a different baseline, so the next curve is going to go up with a much higher starting position. wish I could show you a graphic that I'm drawing in the air here as I speak, just thinking about that. Absolutely, you can do that. Well, hey... Blasting through questions here. Yeah, and these are questions. People just like you and me, living life, dealing with the issues that pop up. Got some that seem to be recurring over and over again. Some are new based on kind of where we are right now. COVID, changing technology, changing work models and all that makes the questions a little bit different. But if you got a question, please just shoot it into me. Go to 48days.com slash askdan. You'll see there place where you can submit your question. Again, 48days.com slash askdan. And if I use your question here in the air, I'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Sometimes some other surprises in there as well. All right, now read us then. Now, this is kind of interesting. A lot of you are writers. If you're uh, not a writer, this may not really relate to you. I'll go through it quickly, but it's important because so many of you are writers or writer wannabes. So read us since I've heard you say, You've written book review requests before in your podcast. I'd love to have a preface written for the front of the, of the book that I have from somebody in my industry. It's on parenting. I have a few ideas in mind who that would be. What's the best way to approach them? As I know time is precious and they'll be rightfully choosy to what they put their name to. If not a preface, then maybe a review. Thanks for your podcast and perspective. All right, let's, let's look at some terms here. And people do get these confused. If you have, there there are really four different things that are components, maybe, not necessary, but are possible components of a book. One is a forward. And incidentally, when somebody asks for a forward, please spell it F 
F-O-R-E-W-O-R-D, not F-O-R-W-A-R-D. That means just going ahead. A four-word is a four-word. So please, it'll kill your credibility if you ask somebody for a four-word where it's misspelled in and of itself. But a four-word is just that. Uh, It's usually written by somebody else. So you'll see that on the front cover, Forward By. I mean, on a lot of my books, I have Forward By Dave Ramsey. He's done multiple books of mine, Forward. So it's designed to draw readers into the book's pages and usually has clarification about that person's connection to the author. And it's a, a long endorsement, as an example, is what that is. That's a forward. So you get a forward, then a preface. Now, a preface is the author's introduction to the book. So you don't ask somebody else for a preface. That would be a, kind of a misnomer. So a preface is something the author does, and then an introduction. Now, I have a brand new book, my brand new book, An Understanding Heart. I didn't ask anybody for a forward. I didn't do a preface, but I did do an introduction just to explain where these short pieces came from, the period of time during which I wrote these, who the audience was then, how they might connect to these now. That's an introduction. And then endorsements. Now, endorsements are usually those really short little blurbs that you see your testimonials. And you can ask a variety of people to do those. Now, if you do ask somebody for a forward, as an example, or an endorsement, there ought to be some kind of personal connection. I mean, I get a lot of requests. I, I reserve Monday afternoons. We have a one-hour call with our Eagles community, our Monday mentor call. Other than that, my Monday afternoons are reserved for doing forwards and endorsements for people's books. I review a lot of manuscripts, enjoy doing that. Just did a forward for somebody, new book coming out called Unforgettable that I was really impressed with and agreed to do a forward. Now, I don't agree always or, or agree to always do an endorsement either. And your question really is that. So it ought to be somebody who you already know, have some kind of relationship with, who believes in your work, and is going to lend some kind of credibility. Now, how much value they have, we could discuss that all day. I'm not sure how much value they carry. In my newest book, I didn't ask for any endorsements. So there's no endorsements from anybody. Now, in past times, I have books where I have endorsements from Zig Ziglar, Darren Hardy, who was publisher of Success Magazine at the time, T. Harvecker, Bob Goff, Andy Andrews. I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot of testimonials, endorsements, as they are, for books. But um, And you can, you can introduce a book without any of those. I mean, don't beat yourself up if you have a hard time getting those. But if you, again, it ought to be somebody where you have already have a personal connection. Or at least the content that you're writing about is something where they can really speak into it. So if you have that, Sure, reach out. I mean, you can do a quick Google. I've got forms for how to do a great letter to ask for an endorsement, but you can Google that real quickly and get that for yourself. Anyway, just make sure you keep those terms correctly used if you are writing a book. Okay, this one comes, uh, Dan, thanks for your time and attention. I've been with the same company for seven years as a quality assurance clerk. The work is mundane and the leadership in the office is weak. After listening to you, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, I realize I've been depositing my faith and belief in the wrong place by not putting those things into myself. Boy, that's a powerful sentence. 
I've been depositing my faith and belief in the wrong place by not putting those things into myself. One of your past blog posts comes to mind. Hourly pay will keep you poor. I'm ready to make a change. I want to switch to selling real estate. I don't know how to sell, but I know I can learn and be great at it. What people, books, and our resources can I get invested in to learn the craft of selling? Bruce. And then he says, P.S., is there a new Dan Miller book in the works? Well, there's always a new Dan Miller book in the works. I just this week got in the first shipment of An Understanding Heart. There's, we don't have a page up. There, You won't find anything on it at all. We're now starting to do that. It was a very long, tedious process getting those printed in China. The timeline was very uncertain because of shipping delays and all those things that are real out there. So I didn't want to artificially promote it before. Now we have them in hand. Now you'll you'll hear us talking about it and be able to go and see some more information on it. So yeah, there is that. But you want to switch to real estate. And what do I recommend? Absolutely, you can do that. I mean, this is, do you hear me talk? I love selling. I love selling. I love being sold too by somebody who really enjoys selling. So I love the process. I believe it's a win-win where everybody wins, comes out better, and moving along in their definition of a success if it's done well. So you can learn, and, and the cool thing is, yes, you can learn to do that. It doesn't have to be you just born as a natural salesperson. We hear that term sometimes, it's ridiculous. No, you learn how to do it well. So learn, and you can expose yourself to the best information out there, and in two weeks' time, elevate yourself into the beginning of being a great salesperson, and it's also a great leveler. You can have an eighth-grade education, or you can have a PhD from the finest college in the world, and in six months, be at exactly the same place income-wise through selling. So here's some resources for you. The Psychology of Selling, Brian Tracy. I'd get that as an audio. I recommend that typically as an audio. It's, it's just really powerful. Psychology of Selling. And then the old classic Secrets of Closing the Sale by Zig Ziglar. You mentioned him already. There's really nothing better than that. It is the most comprehensive resource on selling I've ever seen. Covers any kind of industry, but certainly real estate as well. Number three, Jeffrey Gittimer's Little Red Book of Selling. It's it's just short and sweet, just little tidbits in there, but it's very, very helpful. And then really to focus on real estate, my number one recommendation is Gary Keller's book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And you might recognize that last name, Gary Keller from Keller Williams, the big real estate firm all across the country, the millionaire real estate agent. Yeah, absolutely. You can go through that and be up to speed in a very short period of time and ready to go. Congratulations on making that move. And I'm a big believer in real estate. And you don't need to worry about the naysayers. Gee, you know, we're in a real estate bubble. Nobody's going to buy. Nobody's going to sell. I mean, no matter what's happening in the economy, there are naysayers about being in real estate. But there's always unique opportunities, no matter if the market is up or down. Always unique opportunities. Right now, with prices so inflated, wow, you get a typical 6%, you know, 6% and you sell a $2 million house, that's $120,000 commission. I mean, you don't have to do a whole lot of those every month or so to be in pretty good shape. All right. Okay, here, here's the question comes from Bill. 
I alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast today. I was feeling depressed the other day about how life wasn't working very well right now, and I decided to go do something to change my mental state. So I called up a Tesla dealership and test drove one of their vehicles. I was left smiling for two days. I would like to buy this car, but I feel guilty for setting the goal to own something so materialistic when I could buy an investment property or give the money to charity. Also, my current financial situation shows little to no hope of such a purchase. If you were in my shoes, starting from scratch, how would you know it's okay to treat yourself on that level? Love the question. Love the question. I'm going to preface it by telling you I'm going to have a a fancy car driving experience this week as we're as we're as I'm recording this in two days from now. I'm flying to Atlanta to meet up with a friend who he's an attorney friend. He's very active in our Eagles community, and he said, "Hey, we've never met in person. Let's take care of that. Meet me in Atlanta. I'll take care of the." Uh, the fee there, we're going to do the Porsche driving experience. So we're doing that. I'm totally jazzed about it. Now we're both each going to have our own cars, but I'm going to be driving a Porsche 911 Carrera 4S. Now that's an all-wheel drive Porsche. It does 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds. Top track speed. Now it'll go more than this, but on the track, we're going to be on a 1.6 mile track and they say the top track speed is 190 miles an hour. The base price of this car that I'll be driving before you start adding on other features, the base price is $306,000. So I'm thrilled about what I'm going to be doing. You pay for it. You spend 90 minutes out there driving it. Is this a car that I'm then going to buy? Not a chance in the world. I have zero desire to own a car in that expense category. But I love the idea of driving it. So you might balance what you're talking about with a test drive something once in a while. Now, I wouldn't encourage doing that a lot. Obviously, if you test drive, the dealer has the impression that you are a real candidate for it. And if you're not, probably ought to test drive those things where you are a candidate. But here's the deal. What I recommend, you said, you know, how do you ever justify that kind of investment? My formula has always been Drive any car you want, as long as it's not more than one month of your income. So there you go. Now that that works on any level. I mean, if you make $15 an hour, that means you could spend $2,600 on a car. Can you still get a decent car for that? Absolutely. And that's what I would recommend for somebody making $15 an hour. I mean, if you make $48,000 a year, then, you know, $4,000 would be your monthly income. You can get a reasonable car for that. If you make 150 and step up to $12,500 ride, you can get any nice car for that. So just use that rule of thumb. Now, <laughs> some time ago, I, I wrote a blog post. I actually saw Keith Urban in Franklin, Tennessee, and he was driving his $2.7 million Bugatti Bayron, $2.7 million for that car. So I, I ran that through my formula test here, you know? Now, you, know, you would think, you know, geez, that's really obscene. You know, how could he possibly justify that? Now, Keith has made no secret about his love of cars. He says he inherited his love of cars from his dad. He says, for me, they symbolize freedom, independence, adventure, and so much more. Geez, I, I feel like that. So is it outrageous to spend $2.7 on a car? 
Now, when I hear callers, you know, on Dave Ramsey's show, you know, sharing that they they owe $56,000 on a car they just purchased and their total family income is $48,000 a year, you know, I want to cry. I mean, how in the world would that ever be justified? And I know people go through, gee, I have to have a car that's dependable and all that. I just... I just don't buy that. I'm going to stick with my one-month formula. So back to back to our buddy, Keith Urban. Is this outrageous? Well, I did a quick search and found out that Keith is in the top 10 highest paid singers ever with an estimated $46 million in annual income. Now, not to mention his wife, Nicole Kidman, throws in a few coins once in a while as well into the family pot. But his income... That works out to $3.3 million a month. You know what? I say let him enjoy his Bugatti. <laughs> let him enjoy his Bugatti. So do that. Do that here with what you're talking about. I mean, Bill, don't let yourself get sucked into a fancy car with big payments just because you were depressed. You're going to be more depressed when you wake up the next morning and realize what you committed to. So never use a car as just a pill for your emotional state at the current time. Sure, reward yourself. I mean, I just helped one of our grandsons get a cool little car. He was driving a little piece of junk. And I said, man, you know, driving a car, it's part of your image. You got to be proud when you get behind a wheel. You know, hold your head high. Well, he just thought it was just something to get him from point A to point B. And I said, no, a car is much more than that. And to me, it certainly is. So we talked about it. He finally agreed. We went out. He's got a really cool little Mini Cooper. I mean, it is radical. You know, racing stripes on it and all that. And it really changed his personality. And he's wanting his, his Nana to go clothing shopping with him because it he upped his image about who he was and what he was all about. Now, again, he did it with cash. There's no payments or anything. I wouldn't be a fan of that, wouldn't approve of that. So we did it in line with what I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, it was really fun to do that. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed the what we've covered today, the questions. Keep those questions coming in. Again, just go to 48days.com slash askdan to submit your question. And we're going to wrap things up with that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Again, thanks for being the kind of person who knows there's more out there. This isn't about just accumulating more, but it's about being more. Not just doing more, but being more. As we get ready to roll into the new year, what a wonderful time to be assessing. What do you want to accomplish? What are some new adventures you want to have? What is it you're going to do that you've never done before? Just last week, I took a group, my mastermind, we went kayaking. I'd never been kayaking before. Yeah, we had a couple of people flip over. I didn't, but it was just a fun experience. I'd never done that before. I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. But I like looking for those things that I've not experienced before. I know you're doing the same thing as you plan out this next year and what you want to move into. So this has been helpful to you, you know, two or three people that need encouragement or need to hear the response to one of the questions that a listener shared here, but be sure to share this with them. They'll thank you for it. You'll become known as a person who is providing good information, encouraging, uplifting, positive things to move people forward in what they're doing. Be that person and then stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work that is meaningful, 
purposeful and profitable.